Carson Stooley, this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. He's the lead prospect analyst named Kylie McDaniel. And uh, what follows, uh, as he does uh, on each edition of the program, Kylie McDaniel, this in this case, analyzes all prospects. Of particular note this week, obviously, baseball's amateur draft, uh, also known as the Rule 4 draft, also known merely as the draft that occurred uh, Monday through Wednesday of this past week. We turn our attention uh, to that in large part. Uh, for example, Kyla McDaniel reviews some of the uh, early round selections in that draft. Uh, we look uh, in particular at the case of college second baseman Chris Mitchell over at Hardball Times. Ran some numbers last week on uh, metrics that are predictive, college metrics that are predictive of future major league success. And one of the things he found was that uh, college second basemen do not fare particularly well. However, there were a number of them selected, some of them in the early rounds. How will they fare in the major leagues, um, in Kylie McDaniel's opinion? Discussion of the draft and why uh, one or another player might have slipped leads to uh, questions of makeup. Uh, and we, we talk about the difference between baseball makeup and real person makeup, the sort of things that might make a young man appealing uh, in terms of his baseball success. Those same personality traits may not uh, equal, they may not be the same sort of thing that you're looking in a friend, for example, or a coworker. We talk about uh, all that. I also share some sources. I don't share the sources. I share some some information, uh, care of some sources uh, for the first time, I think probably ever. Uh, so that happens as well, uh, as happens um, in each case, that uh, in each time that Kylie McDaniel appears on the program, he has supplied uh, for our benefit uh, a musical interlude. So what you'll hear is the end of this introduction, a musical interlude, and then my conversation with Kylie McDaniel. This is Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, hit records on my demo. Did y'all boys not get the memo? I do not stay at Yeah, I mean, I can hear the difference. You can hear it? No, I can't hear the difference. Yeah, it's the, yeah, your voice sounds better like this. Like if you were trying to put your best foot forward, you wanted someone to be, um, you wanted someone to say, yeah, that Kyla McDaniel, he's got something going on. I also had uh, I had you going through my speaker, so technically there could have been feedback since the speaker is going into the microphone also. Feedback not, loop. There could have been a yeah. feedback loop. Could have been, but you didn't notice it. But now you're in headphones. So that's impossible. Does does the term here? Let's play a game. Does the term uh, now? Uh, I know this will surprise you, but someone who is involved in baseball, who is a player in, but not a, I mean player in the. Larger term. He's a, he, he's inside baseball. Has occasionally contacted me uh, with regard to some of the work I do on uh, estimating like uh, college predictive stats, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he says that the one reason he likes them, he, he's not saying that they're that they're great, but he said at least they work as a as something as a some sort of reference that might be um, free of some of the um, hype that occurs between, uh, you know, Cape-level baseball, high-level college baseball, and then the sort of, uh, can we say, groupthink? Groupthink? Uh, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, right. But but I guess perhaps relevant to that, perhaps not, To what uh, in what ways do you think the term, the phrase feedback loop applies to uh, the world of uh, prospects and prospect analysis, if at all? Uh, I think I've referenced this before that there's uh – when I'm doing top 100 lists, I think people that maybe people in front offices, typically more experienced people uh, that aren't necessarily don't sort of buy into the concept of a top 100 list because there's, you know, it's, it's kind of lazy if you ask me. But, you know, oh, there's, you know, we're, you're going to be wrong about so many guys. There's going to be a bunch of good big leaguers you don't even put on there. Like, I don't want to contribute to this uh, this mm-hmm. exercise. It's kind of like the stance they're taking. Maybe they're just, you know, lazy or don't have time, and so they'll just, you know, give suggestions other than where to move guys around. And I realize that the sort of idea is futile. I kind of agree with them, but, you know, the people wants it. Yeah. Um, but they'll say, you know, like one guy in particular that I've quoted on here before said, you know, what about Alan Craig? He was never on a list. He's a good player. I mean, he's not anymore, but he was once. <laughs> right. right. Uh, what, there's another one. There's probably a bunch of other ones like him. In the minors, try to find that guy. And I was like, not really what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'd like to find him, but 
I feel like if I haven't found him by now, I'm not going to find him by looking a little harder. Yeah. I think um, what's so interesting uh, and relevant to that is – wait, so how did the term feedback loop occur? Well, yeah, the idea is guy gets ranked high in the draft, and then un- un- unless he spa- fails spectacularly, he keeps getting ranked high, even if he doesn't necessarily warrant it because he kind of has, like, uh, hype momentum, I guess. And a lot of times that'll happen with a guy if you, like, go late in the first round and then you kind of hit kind of league average-ish or close to it for a couple years, maybe around the average, you know, prospect age for the league for a couple years, and all of a sudden you're in double-A, and it's like, wow, he could get called up sometime soon. He's a first-round pick. He's hitting okay. But if you didn't know that, you'd call that guy a backup. But because he was a first-round pick and he's kind of holding his own, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be a star, or at least pretty good. And I think there is a a uh, bias against keeping those guys on list and keeping them around longer than maybe their performance would merit. But I feel like their draft stock tells you something about them also. So I'm not saying we should like hang on to those guys longer and ignore all the Alan Craig's of the world, but there's a reason it happens. I think it just happens too much because it's, it's easier to do that than to go out on a limb. Uh, the, uh, it's you, you, this is a, a sort of time where we might think about, where drafted players end up on those those prospect lists. Um, this past week, Jeff Zimmerman did a uh, wrote an Instagrams post uh, titled "Drafted Players and Prospect Rankings 1990 to Present," looking at where, on average, the, uh, the I guess the, I guess it would have been the following year uh, or the same the same year as the draft year. You know that that next off season where those guys ranked, and um, you know not surprisingly, there's a it's a pretty linear relationship. The higher the overall draft rank, uh, then, then also the, over, the high, higher the overall um, prospect ranking. I think, I think maybe uh, Matt Bush. Matt Bush, I think, was maybe the only the only example besides Brady Aiken last year. The only example of a first overall pick who did not appear. But that, that's not that's not shocking, I guess, right? He was a, a pick by the Padres in 2004, and uh, he was mostly for cost saving purposes, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I wasn't following that draft super closely then, but for, yeah, from what I know, it was like anywhere from five to twelve, depending on who you ask. And it sounded like on the Padres board, he might have been five, and the first four guys all wanted, you know, overslot or whatever. And they were just like, I think they were also told like either take college or take underslot or do something conservative. And they were like, well, this guy's local, and we like him fifth, and he's got a bunch of tools. He could still make us look good, so we'll take him. And I think they may. I've actually been told retrospectively they were aware that there were some makeup issues, but they didn't think it'd be anywhere near this bad. Yeah, well, it ended up pretty bad, didn't it? Well, and the funny thing is, the uh, I guess a little bit of a detour. Is it, the is Rays... it really going to be funny? Is it going to be funny involving Matt Bush? It, funny, uh, more strange than haha. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's well, it's about other guys. So there have been other examples of guys that have been, you know, makeup apocalypses uh, that you think you might be able to tell. Is that the, the Greek? Rays... Is that the Greek you're using? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but the Rays have taken a lot of these guys. Uh, like Taylor Guerrero was seen as a makeup concern. It turns out may not have been quite so much. Josh Sally was not known to be a makeup problem, and then he obviously became one, and then they traded for Josh Lukey, and they drafted Andrew Tolles, who was known to be a problem, and they just released him for off-the-field reasons. Like There have been like five or six examples in recent years, and uh, – some of I've talked to Rays guys that are like, yeah, we didn't know that was going to happen. We we're not trying to take those guys. <laughs> like this isn't an uh, an intentional strategy. And uh, I think we might have just kind of come up with snake eyes a few times. And I think we've talked about that before. That uh, those sorts of things that you know you can't find in the box score right. or are easily seen from scouting a guy, they're just going to be distributed randomly. And sometimes if you're making a lot of trades or a lot of draft picks, uh, and you're maybe a little lower down looking for undervalued guys, that kind of thing. Maybe there's a tiny bit of that that are turning teams off that you like, and maybe just look past the tiny thing, and it turns out to be a lot more. And maybe it's just random. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that may be maybe part of it. I would imagine, uh, perhaps this is an obvious statement, but I would imagine that there is a difference between uh, baseball makeup—that is, the sort of um, personality traits which might which might like allow a rouge one. eyeliner kind of thing. Which which might allow one to become a good baseball player, but then just like citizen of the world makeup. And I think, for example, of someone you know, famously uh, portrayed in Moneyball, like Lenny Dykstra, who appears to have he appears to lack pretty important life skills. 
Um, mm-hmm. Just from the you know the most public information I, that's available about him, but but it seemed as though uh, whatever his temperament, it was like ideally suited to playing to playing and getting better at baseball and getting the most out of whatever natural talent he had. Well, and that's that's kind of the interaction of where people kind of disagree about it because I obviously when it comes to things like that that you can't quantify, people are going to disagree. Uh, but the problem with baseball, even beyond that, is there's you know, dirt bag, maybe not a great guy, maybe not even a great friend, but a great baseball player. Uh, so there's even things where if we could agree on, yeah, this guy does these things poorly uh, and, you know, would be questionable in the world for these reasons. But that also could be seen almost not just as neutral, but as positive for baseball. And so I think what you run into is a lot of, for scouts that are sort of doing their homework on this sort of thing, if you really want to draft this guy or if you'll get, you know, maybe this guy would be a top 10, 15 pick and your team might take him. Maybe not fudge a little bit, but maybe not make it quite so prominent that he seems like a little immature for getting three, four, five million dollars. Uh, cause it'll make you look better. You'll get, you have a first rounder. Even if the guy ends up being terrible, it's like, well, I was able to, you know, convince my guys to take a first round pick or what, like, it's almost never a negative to get a high pick on your resume. Um, but yeah, I've, they're actually, one of the teams I worked for, we were having, like, when I walked in the first day on the, one of the boards of the player development director was, a like, a bunch of words, and he's like, yeah, we had, like, a brainstorming session here trying to figure out what our definition of makeup will be, because we figured if we're going to keep defining it differently from person to person, let's at least have a coherent definition uh, for us, mm-hmm. and it kind of never got solved, because <laughs> it, yeah. it's impossible, basically, and right. every time I've worked for has had some sort of, these are the things we look for, and they'll like name two or three things, and I'll be like, "What about these five? Like, yeah, I look for that too." I was like, "Okay, so you don't have an answer. You just you just have a thing you say when people ask, so it sounds like you have an answer." Right, and and you also discussed how, um, for example, um, Michael Machuela, the Duke right-hander, now a member of the well, not a member of them yet. He's been drafted by the Rangers. He's been drafted by the Rangers. Yes. Yes. Nice try, Carson. Sorry. Well, no, but he's been drafted by the Rangers. Uh, you 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 mentioned at that point that his um, his ability to articulate himself and his intelligence in some cases might be regarded as a negative because uh, whether it is or not that just because uh, for whatever reason when these guys fail this sort of player fails the one explanation you hear is well he thought himself into failing yeah yeah whereas he seemed like a, a very pleasant young man. He did, and by yeah, all indications, he is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the well, I think I talked about some last week, just talking about the the idea of sort of the draft room that the dudes that are in charge, you know, the four or five guys have a combined, you know, hundred years of experience doing this, and it's been done, you know, twenty years ago when these guys were starting and were taught how to do it, it was done a certain way. It's generally still done that way, uh, and so you're going to revert back to what you were taught and. You know, what's, you know, worked in quotes, like we signed a Hall of Famer doing this, so, and so some of the old school tendencies will crop up, and I think you kind of know what all those, like all the, all the stuff Twitter makes fun of managers for doing about talking about their gut and just things that are generally not the most sound process. Uh, they're, you know, let's say it's a terrible process, and if you were right, if you're using the right process, you'd be right 55% of the time, but yeah. a terrible process, you're right 45% of the time. No one, it's that hard mean, to detect. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that means if you were to explain to this guy that he's wrong, he'd come up with four or five examples where he's like, hey, it seems it worked out pretty well for me. He's like, well, it could be a little better, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's subtle enough that they're not going to change or not change in large ways. And so those sorts of old school things about the, you know, having grit and he's too smart and things like that. Uh, they're going to hang around. And that may be a perfect example of why Matchwell's career will fail, or it could be the exact reason it will succeed. <laughs> and any one, you know, data point isn't going to prove anything. Uh, but if the, you spend $2 million, a, yeah. you spend $2 million on him and six other guys, at some point, you're going to pick the wrong one if you're using the wrong process, and it'll probably show up at that level. And at that point, you're talking about millions of dollars on the line. So you'd probably want to, you know, use the right process. You know, you um, you mentioned the the possible futility of the uh, the prospect list, right? Uh, I do want to um, bring this to your attention, though, and I think I had started to slightly earlier in our conversation. Uh, maybe over the winter, let's say over the winter. Yes, February nineteenth. Jeff Sullivan. Was it, was it about your wife? Because I feel like I'll remember that. No, it was not. Oh, about okay. My wife. Uh, the um, Jeff Sullivan looked at. Uh, 
I think interesting study. It looked at, uh, he asked the question, uh, how many good players were good prospects? He defined good player as uh, any player to produce a season uh, of uh, three wins or better over the last three years, so 2012 through 14. Uh, and listen, he found that uh, just uh, slightly over 50% of those good players had actually been ranked number one through 50 on the on BA's top prospect list, and another 15 had been f- uh, 51 through 100. So there you have roughly two-thirds of all good players had previously at some point appeared on uh, on the Baseball America's top 100 prospect list, which I don't know if that's as good as uh, one might imagine the returns might be, but that's still uh, identifying two-thirds of the players who eventually, you know, went on to uh, to produce, uh, you know, markedly above-average seasons. So there, you, there you have it. Not entirely futile if you can if you can find two-thirds of them. Yeah, and I think that's generally the point of uh, people like me. Uh, I know it's it's a set group of people, um, but when when someone and it could be a new school guy or an old school guy that says like, "Oh, prospect lists are dumb. It's all the same guys over and over. You keep you know missing on guys and whatever." It's like, okay, you're right. But using that example of the manager being right 55 percent of the time or 45 percent of the time, it's like you could have no guide and no background and just make every decision off this you know seat of your pants when you're presented to you. But this is gonna you know this is gonna be at some level correct in predicting who's gonna be good in the future. You know, two thirds of the time. And I would bet that's a little better than just, uh, you know, attacking the info as it's handed to you and taking an extra three or four hours. Right. And also, I mean, if nothing else, right, it organizes it, right? You say I've used yeah. a set of principles, set of uh, criteria to lay this list out. You may or may not disagree with the methodology, but here it is, and this, this organizes it. And then someone like me, of course, will say, like, oh, I think this guy should have been on it. He's my favorite. And then you're like, I don't care. Why do you have an embroidered pillar with Jose De Leon's name on it? I don't know, but uh, he's been pretty good. I've calculated uh, – so I, when I put up the, the French 5 post yesterday, it was right about Wednesday at 3 p.m. If this had been 2013 and not 2015, um, Jose De Leon's name – it was the third day of the draft. Jose De Leon's name would have just been called uh, when that post went up on the, th- the third day of the draft. Three hours into want- the third day. Do you want a medal? <laughs> I do. No, I don't. No, I don't. But I, no, I don't deserve a medal for that. I'm just saying that that is uh, that's an instance where you say, well, he's 24th, selected in the middle of the 24th round. Yeah, obviously, he's going to turn, obviously he's going to turn it around and become the uh, what one of the top. Well, Keith Law says one of the top 25 prospects in the in still in the game. And with uh, what with Velasquez and Correa. All having been promoted in the last uh, week, they're both having been promoted, and that changes too. Joey Gallo also in the last two weeks. So, I mean, he could be – he's rocketing up the charts, as Jose De Leon. By default. By de- yeah, there you go. Well – They're dropping like flies. I think what is it? Woody Allen says 80% of life is just showing up. So, there you are. Yeah, guys I feel like there's mis- some other things I wouldn't trust Woody Allen to give me life advice about. But maybe that – I think that's probably I think true. that's fair, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, yes, yeah, so there you are. Now, let me ask you a question. Really apropos nothing, but or apropos something. We were talking about that sort of translation of the draft um, and the draft order, and you could uh, you could integrate the um, bonus amounts into that as well, which would act, I'd say, as a pretty good proxy of how much a, a team cares about acquiring a player from the draft. Um, you love your proxies. I love proxies, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is so specific; it's meaningless. But I've been wa- I've been following Gavin Cicchini this year. Does he know you've been doing this? No, no I think just electronically. Um, I don't even like not like his Facebook page or anything. It's just uh, the uh, just his performance as a baseball player is what I mean. And gotcha. uh, uh, former twelfth round pick received what two point three million something like that. Uh, all that would seem to suggest that uh, at least the Mets valued him. No, the the one the Mets had was the first round pick. He was like 13th or 14th. That's what I said, 12th overall. Oh, I thought you said something else. I'm talking about Gavin. Am I talking about Gavin? I'm talking about Gavin, not Gary. Okay. 
That's our new our spinoff podcast. It's called Talking About Gavin. Talking about no, I'm talking about Gavin Cicchini, not Gavin Cicchini. I'm talking about Gavin Cicchini. Okay, I misheard you. I thought you were conflating the two. Oh, yo, you're the conflator. You're the big conflator. We'll talk about that momentarily. Our third podcast, the big conflator. The big conflator, um, or uh, a nickname for Shaquille O'Neal. Um, yeah, there you go. The the no, it's twelfth overall, two point three million dollars, and uh, curiously never appeared. On a, on one of those top 100 prospect lists, and you say, well, you say a number 12 guy, uh, where does he usually end up? Well, uh, typically they end up around 67, so that's not very high, but it's not very low either. Yeah? They, they is, that, is that a question? Uh, what do I say? Why didn't, he, why didn't he ever show up? He seemed to be pretty valued by the Mets. What's your opinion on that? Well, also, I have a list, so you could ask me about my list. Well, he's not on your list either. That's my point. He's not on your list. Yeah, no. Well, he, uh, let's see. When he signed, he uh, was seen by some teams as the the bat being a bit light. And so they were saying something along the lines of, like, uh, fringe for average and, like, 40 power. And can play short, but not plus, which kind of adds up to good utility guy. And then at the end of last year in high A, he hit a bunch. And I saw him in the middle of that year, and he was just okay. So he went nuts at the end of the year, and all the Mets guys were like, you should move him up. And nobody outside the organization really said that. And then he happened to be one of those examples, uh, I think Richie Schaefer maybe another one, where finished strong, but I had seen him that year. It wasn't that great. Uh, scouts were telling me, eh, I saw him middle and early and wasn't that great. And the team's like, I'm telling you, this guy's different. And I'm like, I don't know. Every team's telling me they got a guy that's different. I can't just say they're all going to be different. And then uh, those two happen to be different. And Richie Schaefer went from basically a non-prospect uh, to, you know, some sort of big league value, uh, probably like a platoon guy, I would guess. And Cicchini went from projecting as a backup uh, to, I'd say, now projecting as a starter. Yeah. All right. Well, just I'm just curious. Damn it. Yeah. So in Jose de Leon was the same thing. It was a handful of starts that if that's all you had, uh, you would say, oh, I could be, you know, third, fourth starter. Like, we could... You know, hang that guy somewhere toward the back of the top 100, maybe like 120, something like that. Uh, but it was like four starts. And he had no pedigree, had done anything before that. And so they're like, all right, let's see a little bit. Especially, like I've said before, with guys that randomly start throwing harder uh, or throwing better, you want to see them be able to sustain command and velocity because sometimes those things come and go pretty quickly. Like Brandon Klein this year started throwing way harder, and then his elbow got hurt. And not that I wanted that to happen, but I said when the guy starts throwing way harder – like, let me see five, six, seven starts holding it late into games and make sure his body can handle this. And for the time being, it looks like his body couldn't handle it. Maybe it's just soreness and he'll work through it. Maybe it's something more serious. We don't know. Or maybe we do. I just didn't hear about it yet. But but that's, you know, that's why those things are kind of become wait and sees. Uh, spe- uh, speaking of throwing harder, I don't know if you've had the privilege of seeing Robbie Ray uh, pitch recently. Mm, saw him in spring training. Is it the game we were at? Oh, okay, yeah. Robbie Ray uh, uh, threw uh, during nine appearances last year with Detroit, sat at 91, now sitting at 94 with his fastball through three starts with Arizona. Just harder. Pa- faster. Faster pitching. None of these are questions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, but see, this is what happens. This is a, what is it called? A lively, what do we call it? A lively conversation? No, a free-flowing a... conversation <laughs> that occasionally touches on mature subjects. Yeah. Well, we haven't done any of the. We haven't touched on any mature subjects. Balls, yet. am I right? <laughs> now we have. Okay. Um, yeah. No, Robbie Ray is uh, one of those guys that uh, actually I've I've, cu- I've noticed myself trying to do this more in the draft, which is uh, clean arm action, quick arm. Or, you know, already throws pretty hard at a younger age. Uh, those guys are, and then, you know, generally athletic, generally has some idea where it's going, you know, generally not the highest effort in the world. Those sorts of guys are like 80% of the guys who have random, not random, but have like velo spikes where things will jump a couple miles per hour. And he's obviously a little older. I think he's what, like 23? Yeah, he's been around for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but those are, we've seen some guys like Sendergaard and, uh, Carlos Frias and a couple other guys this year where they just come up and start throwing two or three ticks harder, and you're thinking, like, oh, it's adrenaline. They can't hold that for late into games. And then sometimes they kind of do. And I I don't know, maybe maybe it's the excitement of being in the big leagues, or maybe the big league pitching coach tweaks something, or maybe it's just adrenaline or multiple start that eventually wear off. But the guys that are capable of doing things like that are the guys with the smooth arm action, the quick arm, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys. And so if you told me 
you know, some reliever with an ugly delivery to that, I'd be like, all right, he figured something out where he did some sort of, you know, Carter caps delivery or he just slowed his arm down so he's even later to catch up with his body and he's definitely going to get hurt as a result of it. Uh, and that is not the same as someone saying, oh, some guy at 18 hit 96 miles an hour, TJ. Like, it's different than that. Um, <laughs> God, I hate those people. Um, no, you don't. No, 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 Kylie. You don't hate those people, but you you don't. You don't care for those comments, I think, is what you want to say. I probably don't like the person either. Yeah, you know, but a lot of times people are saying they're making comments like that. Uh, it's a, it's naivety, and it's and it could be other unattractive qualities. But those people, they're probably damaged themselves, Kylie. Their hearts need TJ. That that explains why they follow me on Twitter, at least. Yeah, right. They're um, they want they they want they think they don't deserve more. That's how they feel. Come on, people. You're better than this. You're better than that. Unfollow, unfollow Kylie McDaniel right it's now. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not, it's not your fault. Oh, Robin Williams. You saint. The, um, hey, let me ask you a question about pitchers. Uh, you hear a thing about this, right? You'll see a guy who's like 6'5", 210, which are, uh, sound like figures maybe I've taken out of the air. Maybe they also apply to, uh, Vanderbilt left-hander John Kilachowski. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not, but probably. Probably they do actually, and uh, yeah. so you see, I oh, can see a frame. I see him when he pitches. He's a six-five, two hundred ten-pound person, and you say he could gain weight, and then, and then presumably when a guy is becoming more physical, this is the baseball assumption: is he throws harder. Now I know that you have you did work with one of the um, organizations. You, you did research with one of the organizations with which you worked, and um, you found that any basically any predictions that were made about a pitcher's Velocity, say when he was drafted, there was like no correlation between those projections and w- how hard he was throwing, like what three, five years later, or something like that. Yeah. Now, is there any? Have you ever done any work? Have you ever uh, seen any work? Actually, looking at this relationship, where you say, yes, this guy is thin and he's thin but tall. His frame could um, could carry more weight. And then he does actually throw harder in the future. Well, yeah, that happens all the time. (laughs) Okay. I'm just wondering. Yeah, the idea of – I hear it all the time and I accept it because people who are are, are more deeply involved in the game than me, they accept it. But I just said, well, is that true? Yeah, like C.J. Edwards. uh, But he's still still a thin little guy. Yeah, still is. Uh, But he was not throwing that hard and then – Started throwing a lot harder. There's just one that comes to mind. Uh, Kilikowski is another funny one because he went to high school in Tampa, uh, right next to me. Same, same, same powerhouse school that produced, uh, McCullers and Dave Magadan and Tino Martinez, I think, and Lou Pinnell. I don't know. They had a lot of guys. Brad Radke came out of there. Anyway, so that school has like 91 prospects every year. And when he was a junior, uh, I believe behind McCullers, if I'm not mistaken, uh, because he was a senior, he was a junior, I think. Uh, he would come out and we'd be like, whoa, 6'5 lefty, like pretty decent delivery, like threw a decent breaking ball and we're like, wow, this is a good one. And then he would throw like, you know, 86 to 89 and like hit 90 or 91 and the breaking ball is like, yeah, fringy, didn't have a lot of power to it. And, uh, as a junior at Vanderbilt, it's, uh, almost exactly the same. <laughs> like, he's like 88 to 91 with like, uh, average to solid average curveball and, uh, Hasn't quite done it yet. And I feel like he may actually suffer from, like, if there's a Southeast cross checker that is based in Florida that has watched him for five years and watched him be the almost exactly the same guy for five years, he's probably tired of him now. And he, if given the option, would probably take some random Juco guy that's the same age with the same stuff and same projectability because he's not tired of watching him just, not do what he wants to want do. John Kilik, what you say, you said Kilikowski or Kilikowski? I think it's Kilikowski. Alright, he doesn't want to, he just doesn't want to see Kilikowski anymore? Yeah. Just no, get out of my face. Well, people talk about it in fantasy football. Like, Marvin Harrison never went high in drafts, but he kept producing as, like, he's not exciting. Like, he's not like Randy Moss. He's not flashy. He gets the same stats every year. You want to take the rookie, but no one knows how good he's going to be, and you want to be the guy that picked him right. And you just kind of get tired of picking him. And then he just keeps being good, and you're like, man, I guess I got to draft this guy again. He's pretty good. It's kind of some of the same phenomenon. And that, obviously the teams try to get away from – uh, you know, not drafting a guy because they've watched him too much and they're kind of bored with him. Uh, but I, I think that definitely creeps in because you'll you'll hear guys kind of moan when a guy like I, I think I saw Kalikowski throw in Florida once, and the Florida scouts hadn't seen him for a few years, 
And then he comes out and I'm like, what do you got? He's like 80 to 90. He puts the gun away and kind of goes to the bathroom. <laughs> like, I'm like, he's going to get drafted high. Like, what are we doing? He's like, I've well, he did, he, so actually he was a draft eligible sophomore this year and he oh, ended sorry. up going in the 39th round to uh, the Cubs. I think that, uh, uh, sources tell me actual, actual sources, uh, tell Whoa. me the idea that maybe his, uh, that maybe his demands were between one and two million dollars, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, my my guess was uh, they have a couple they have a couple guys in the like 11th to 20th round. I'm not looking at their draft, but I'm guessing usually when that happens uh, yeah. is 11th to 20th round. There's like three guys they want to overpay, and if for some reason one of them doesn't, they think they might be able to line him up as like a backup backup option. Right. Yeah. But the, yeah, there's a reason he was there that late. Probably can't talk him down, but right. maybe they think they can. And he has an opportunity to be what the number one or two starter at Vanderbilt this next year. Ah. I don't know if he will or not. They have a lot of good pitchers. Oh well, all right. I mean, he. he uh, let me tell you. I can tell you from a statistical point of view, put up better better strikeout and walk numbers than Walker Bueller, which isn't maybe it's not shocking given that Bueller perhaps wasn't himself. But at the same time, Bueller was taken what in third round or something like that. Does that sound right? Bueller was a first rounder. Was he? Was so? Look at that first rounder. Better than a first rounder. You didn't? Did you watch the draft? Yeah, I don't remember all of the names. I've outsourced. I, I He's been projected to go like ten to twenty for like the last. Like, I six know, months. but then, I, but then he had a little bit of a weird season. And yeah, you no, know, then he won. I think twenty fourth of the Dodgers. Injury concern. You think that, or are you looking at the internet right now? No, I know he went to the Dodgers. I don't know if it was twenty fourth or not. Okay, all right. Well, if there was only a, some sort of sortable draft board on the internet that would allow us to with all such answers. Yeah. Um, there is one. <clears throat> Not entirely updated, but I'm going to guess you're going to get to that soon. Uh, it has been completely updated and sent to Appleman. I don't think he's posted it yet. Oh, Freaking Appleman. I've got, I've got every, uh, the whole draft in there. And sortable by team also. Walker Bueller, 24th to LA. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, so as far as, uh, Vandy's concerned, they're going to have, it looks like Donnie Everett coming on campus, along with Chandler Day. I don't know. These names, these are just names to me. Silly They're both names. high school guys from this draft that are going to go to campus that could be in the rotation as freshmen. And then you got uh, Kyle Wright, who's a freshman this past year, who could be in the rotation. And uh, you got Jordan Sheffield, who almost certainly will be in the rotation oh, next yeah. year. Who was the Who was the guy that had Pfeiffer? Who was Pfeiffer? Yeah, he got drafted. He'll. I think he'll sign. He went pretty high. I want to say he went fourth or fifth round. I saw him throwing. Is it possible I saw him throwing very hard at one point? Uh, yeah, I've seen him like ninety to ninety-four. Oh, I think it was whoever I was watching was. Was uh, faster than that, and so maybe it wasn't five. Maybe it, it well, was. They have another lefty that, whose name was about to say Ben Bowden. That's uh, in the bullpen. That'll probably be in the rotation next year, also. God, that's a lot of people. Yeah, so they've got like what five or six dudes, assuming those two guys get on campus, uh, that would be good enough to be in anyone's weekend rotation, and they can only start three of them. Well, let me say this. Let me say this. Walker Bueller put... was the midweek guy as a sophomore. He couldn't even get in the rotation. Let me say this. Let me put. I'm going to put the Sestuli stamp. Not. It doesn't mean anything. Obviously. Is it an actual stamp? It's not an actual stamp. Uh, okay. but it would, it's a metaphorical stamp. I'm putting him on a, this left-hander from Vanderbilt, whose name, uh, pronunciation is, uh, it's still, there's still the wide-ranging debates on it. You say potato, I say Kilachowski. Um, but, um, but I say, I, I'm gonna, you know, I Kilachowski, say, actually, you're right. Right. I've I've heard guys say Kilikowski, but sure, yeah. it's Kila Kilachowski. Kilachowski, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, emphasis on Chow. Yeah, so there you go. So listen, uh, the draft did happen. I'm not trying to ignore it. It's such a huge leviathan of a thing. Twelve hundred names. You know how many scouts use that comparison with me? <laughs> they they. They we say got a lot like, of guys today, Kylie. You wouldn't believe what kind of a leviathan it it's was. It's a real, though. it's a real leviathan. <laughs> they don't. They, you're saying they, they're not referencing? Uh, well, yeah, the, one scout sent me a text and it said, uh, "Draft leviathans be like," and it was like a picture from like an old like uh, like 80s Godzilla movie. Oh yeah, leviathan was also what's the what's the? Oh yeah, leviathan. Oh yeah, it's by Hobbes. Yeah, that's Hobbes' big book. Thomas Hobbes. Isn't it a biblical thing as well? Yeah, it's a sea monster, I think. Yeah, I believe is referenced in the Bible. Yeah, it's biblical. Biblical it's referenced in yeah. Job. I'm glad that our new podcast where we just read stuff off the internet is find it. It's, yeah, it's taking off. Yeah. 
What's it called? The forty-one one. The big one. Can you pull a Leviathan with a fish hook? Yeah. And then the text by Hobbes is uh, Leviathan or the matter, form, and power of a commonwealth ecclesiastical and civil, 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 civil. Well, we've lost, all, we've lost all of our listeners. Yeah, Thanks, it's guys. all right. It's all right. It has oh, to no. happen at some point. Uh, so, is there any? Do you have any? Is there anything that you are aching to say about the draft? Any co- any observations you would like to make about the draft? Any things about Brady that you're aching to say? Oh boy. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Uh, I think I said most of my sort of burning thoughts in the draft review post. Because that was the first, that's what, the first two rounds, two, three rounds. Yeah, I mean, in the later rounds, you can't really say much because uh, I guess the sort of surprising things would be really good player slips. That means there's a signability question, so you don't want to say anything until he signs. And then uh, a player that you thought was good that slipped that isn't a signability question, maybe he's not quite as good as you thought he was. <laughs> right. I'm not sure I have a lot of things to say about those things until we find out which one's true. Eric Charay, not drafted. Missouri State, catcher, second baseman, DH, kind of. Um, not well, drafted. When you say that many positions, it makes me question. Yeah, I know. Uh, but he was drafted 17th round after his junior season out of Missouri State, drafted by Oakland, and then uh, totally ignored. Totally ignored this most recent one. Uh, will he be drafted as a, as a minor league free agent? Actually, a third source. I'm not with you. A third actual source. This is possible. This is, this is, it's just a weird, it's, it's a weird day. A third source says he does expect, um, Shrey to be signed as a, as a, as a, uh, undrafted free agent. That's a real, I'm telling you, I'm quoting a person who responded to me via email and has a high standing in an actual baseball organization. How many is mistakes it, had to be made for Israeli that? Israeli baseball organization? <laughs> a little bit of Israeli. I did today as, um, <laughs> As Israel's uh, prospect, I did receive today the update on uh, Jewish players who've been taken in the draft. And who who are the high couple? Well, Alex what? Bregman, dude. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Jewish family doesn't matter about him. Doesn't matter what he's celebrating. He's eligible. Come to yeah. hey Bregman. Once you, <laughs> I know once you get t- Bregman on the horn, go long to time, out. long time, first time. <laughs> Bregman. He's also played for Team USA for the last two summers. I feel like he's kind of committed. Yeah, but as a young player. Well, anyway, uh, who else? Uh, Jason. Uh, a, Go- source, a source tells me Alex Bregman loves America. So sorry. You, you know, you, 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 your body can be in the U.S., but your soul belongs to Israel, friend. <laughs> that sounded like a threat. <laughs> yeah, does it? You know what sounds like a threat? The uh, the Old Testament God all of the time. I don't know if you're familiar. I don't know if you're familiar this with This is the, the worst podcast that's ever existed. <laughs> uh, we're not calling it a podcast, we call it a program. This is the worst program. Sorry. Sorry, the program. The program, yes. The, um, uh, uh, Jason Goldstein, catcher out of Illinois. I was told he's not very good. Really? Yeah, because I had, somebody had mentioned like, oh yeah, look into that guy. Now, it might and have been I, me, or maybe it wasn't me, but I, I would have said that. Even before yeah, I'm not, I knew he was I'm not sure I would ask a cross-checker about just because of your recommendation. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, I talked to two guys, one of them a cross-checker, and he was like, yeah, guys, that guy's not getting good. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I, 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 he also Bre- told me not to worry about Paul DeJong. I, I was surprised he went that high. Who, who, guess- is, who is that? I don't know about this guy's... Uh, bona, <laughs> this guy that just doesn't think your guys are any good? Bona fides. Well, the like, definition of your guy is nobody talks about him. <laughs> this guy says, don't worry about him. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just confirming what you already think. No one talks about him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, bona fides are not. Yeah, his boner, his boner fides. <laughs> By the way, have I told you about my uh, my new uh, your boner fides? <laughs> no, my new charity that I'm starting. No, it's called Doctors Without Boners. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Um, all right. So you don't have any Bernie. Let's talk about. Um, can we talk about second baseman in the draft? Because. Um, so uh, Chris Mitchell, last the end of last week, uh, published results. He, he applied his uh, his Cato framework um, to college batters and then pitchers uh, the following Monday. And um, you know, as always with this sort of thing, um, uh, m- multiple uh, multiple spoons of sugar, spoons of sugar. Vin- what are you doing? What do you say? What do you say with a spoon of no, a, a tablespoon of a teaspoon? Who's trying to impress me? I'm already not impressed with you. <laughs> no, what's the what is the saying that people have? You take it with a doubt, something of doubt. 
A modicum of doubt. I'm just going to let you figure this out. <laughs> no, I don't remember. Do you, do you know it in your head? It was something to do with salt. Salt? Salt? Anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to it later. But um, uh, but it, 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 is, it is empirical, too, which is the, the nice thing about it. And it does appear as though players who have been identified um, as second base... It's a grain of salt, Carson. <laughs> it is a grain of salt. <laughs> It is a grain of salt. Now, I can't believe some, you didn't get that. Do you take it for is the is the salt? Take it for granted, or yeah, take is it the with salt a grain for salt. the purposes of seasoning, or is it for the purposes of preservation? In that case, you know, like you season, you salt meat so that it is preserved, like you would in like a. Wikipedia says, "With a <laughs> grain of salt is an idiom, which means to view something with skepticism or not take it literally." I believe it means because that's how cheap a grain of salt is. Oh, I see. All right, so. Um, so, uh, frick. Please with yourself that you've done this. Yeah. And also, I also, I know that I, yeah, okay. Um, this is, this is really breaking down. Okay. So what it happens is players who are identified, uh, either exclusively or mostly as second baseman have not fared particularly well, uh, at least on average as, uh, as major leaguers. Um, and I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious about the the second baseman that went in this draft, um, because it's a it's a sort of an interesting position because it is sort of in even at the major league level, it is sort of like the destination for like defensive misfits. You know, a little bit. You have um, guys. You have guys like D. Gordon who probably should have. You know, who the tools suggested for a while that he might be able to play shortstop. And then he ends up there. Uh, and of course, oh, obvi- you know, obviously like Dustin Bedroya and um, and uh, Joe Panic, both played shortstop in college, um, and then ended up at second base. And then you also have guys like you know uh, Dan Ugla and um, <clears throat> you know Stephen Pierce, who for years has played corner outfield, first base, and he makes a you know he makes an appearance at second base. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I'm curious because because we have some second baseman in this draft. Um, and I'm curious for you, what, um, and some of them were highly ranked, uh, what, what their what their futures hold, and 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 if you see them, because I think sometimes these guys don't end up as second baseman in the majors. So, like for example, Ian Happ, right? Ian Happ uh, selected ninth overall by Chicago, largely on the largely in the strength I think of his power on contact, right? Because even in that uh, in that conference, his strikeout rate wasn't particularly good. It was like 20 percent. Oh, I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He has power. Yeah, he's got power. Is he gonna be a second baseman? Do you think? Uh, it sounds like the Cubs think he could be. Uh, I would say it's probably sixty forty. He ends up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually, I think he might fit best at third, which he's never played before. Uh, so we'll see if he does. But yeah, everything else he's played has been generally right or left field, which is you know we already know he can do that. So I think similar to Schwarber, let's. Let's find out if he can play that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, physically, because isn't he isn't he a bit on the stout side? Yeah, stout would be the correct word. And that that seems as though that's that's that uh, will profile, especially with the power. I'm not saying it ought to, but usually third base, you're looking guys maybe who have hands, but not necessarily great range. Uh, well, do... to be fair, all the guys that were drafted do have two hands. So I don't I don't want people to think that guys without hands are getting drafted. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to continue. All right. So, so Hap. So Hap. Hap. You think you think that the power would play at a corner outfield position? Yeah, it's above average, okay. and he gets to it in games. That's yeah. That's not really a, the question. The question is, if you saw him bad, you know his upside is as a 55 hit, 55 power right fielder. If you saw him bad, you probably think it's a little less than that, and then that's questionable if that's an everyday guy, and then he doesn't have physical projection and all that sort of thing. And so you kind of get down on him, and you're like, ah, it's like, you know, fringe everyday guy, right fielder, not a lot of give in the profile, you know, not enormous upside, maybe high school guy would be a better option here. And then if you saw him over the Cape, you're like, you probably saw him when he was a plus or even slightly above plus runner, and you saw him play second base and be pretty good, and you saw him go bananas both summers in the Cape, and you're like, this guy could be even better than 55 and 55, and I think he might be able to play the infield. Uh, and he also was coming off of a double hernia surgery during the spring, which I would imagine would impact his baseball activities. The, the, the Cape seems to wield uh, quite a bit of influence 
um, even as far as the the next June when the draft occurs. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think it should. Same thing with showcase season. There's you, you guys who went in the second be... round that had like Desmond Lindsay went second round to the Mets, basically didn't even play this spring. Say, say, all tell, tell me about Desmond Lindsay. Who's he? I uh, generally played first base, but he can probably play right uh, field. Uh, and it's you know like 55 power, makes some contact, has some bat speed, kind of you know might generally have the same upside as uh, Ian Happ, although he's just a right hand hitter. But he's physically limited. He played a lot of first base, and this spring he played like maybe 10 games spread out from a, due to a couple injuries. Uh, and they took him in the second round as though he was sort of raking all spring, basically, because I think people thought he would go in the third, maybe fourth round. Uh, but when you see him rake all summer against better pitching than he was going to see during the spring anyway, did you really need to see the spring? If anything, it gives you, you know, an opportunity to get the guy that you might not have been. Like, if he hit the entire spring, I'm not sure he would have gotten the 53 or whatever the Mets were at. Oh, interesting. So it actually might be. So so the Cape is important, you're saying, because the the, the players there, are. Um, it's probably the the highest level of competition they're going to face over the course, or, and that you'll be, which you'll be able to see them. Yes, and it is the closest thing to pro ball in that it is a sort of laissez-faire level of sort of managing and handling of the players, and it's day after day, wood bat, high-end competition, playing almost every day. Like, it it simulates that very well. And so if guys thrive there, but like Alex Blandino thrived there and then had some trouble, especially his freshman and sophomore years at Stanford in a more much more structured environment and different sort of pitching and, you know, just not quite as, you know, loosey-goosey and didn't have a game every day and all that, you want to put a little more weight on the cape because that's probably more predictable what he'll look like in pro ball anyway. Good. That's a great answer. I appreciate it. Thank thank you. Yeah. Uh, Scott Kingery, 32nd on your your draft board, went uh, 48th to Philadelphia. Strong hit tool. <laughs> We're just playing word association now. Strong elephant. <laughs> strong into what? Uh, what is the? I guess what is the? Uh, what is the logic? Or where, where is he going to end up? And um, you, you were pretty. I mean, you were relatively. Um, you, you feel he demonstrates relative promise given the, where you ranked him. What is the? Uh, where, where, where will he end up defensively? And um, you know, is it going to be second base? And what's he going to look like offensively? Yeah, I think he'll be second base. Uh, he's a plus, maybe double plus runner. Can play second. He, I mean, he can play left. He can't really play short. Uh, so second's obviously sort of the best fit for him. He's got the power to hit 15 homers, but doesn't really have the approach to do it and is more contact based, similar to Kevin Newman, but not quite as extreme as Kevin Newman. His double play partner that went in the first round to, I forget which team drafted him. Um, but yeah, he's uh I think he's sort of a typical Newman went to the Pittsburgh 19th. Yeah. Uh Kingery went to the Phillies of 48 and I think he's, you know, sort of a typical college second baseman. That's not enormous upside, it's good performance, it's low risk and if things don't work out it's sort of a, you know, backup, maybe triple A guy and if things go well, you got a, you know, solid everyday guy and you'll kind of find out in a few years. Okay. Um Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that about uh, Newman he went to uh the team he said there, Pittsburgh. I don't know. Both going from Arizona to Pennsylvania. It's a real. It's a good lead for an article if you want to write up those two. Were you? I'm not going to do that. Were you shocked, or were you not shocked, um, to find that Oakland drafted many college performers? Uh, not shocked. No. Kevin Du Kevin Duchesne. Does that sound right? Kevin Duchesne. Uh, I believe so, yeah. The pitcher out of Illinois, who was uh, Tyler J's teammate, and at, at points posted uh, numbers, I mean, different role, but um, regressed numbers at least, I can tell you, um, approximately as strong as uh, Jay's, but of course different, uh, different repertoire. And I think you'll like him because I'm told he's a real weirdo. <laughs> That's how one scout phrased it. Isn't that right? Yeah, apparently he's a real weirdo. <laughs> I do kind of like real weirdos. He is weird. Is he as weird as Brett Marks? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Brett Marks, of course, is the right-hander from Tennessee. I've seen him pitch this year, actually. He has big glasses. What did you, do you remember what you saw him out in terms of velocity? Because I was looking around for it, and I saw multiple but quite different reports. Give me 10 seconds. I will do it. Let's, go, let's give him 10 seconds, and let's play the whole music for Fangraphs Audio. 
right, here we go. Uh, Brett Marks, where did I put his notes? He's on this page somewhere. There he is. Uh, 86 to 88 above average sink, uh, through a backup slider, and then I lost interest. Okay. Alright. Just curious. But yeah, it's, it's some funk and sink and, you know, stability, all that kind of thing. Funk and sink. It's a George Clinton, it's a George Clinton side project. <laughs> he throws the funkin' kitchen sink at you. Yeah, he does. Uh, let's see. When, when, when will I? Hmm. What will I ask when, you now? When will you? When will I? I had one good question. Oh yeah. When do these guys start signing? Uh, some I bet already have. Really? Yeah, because short season leagues start in like what is it, two weeks? Sure. Uh, hold on. I actually oh, I have can a, tell you that yeah. the Cardinals and first rounder Nick Plummer agreed to terms. They've agreed to terms. There you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say like of the first rounders, like uh, maybe twenty of the thirty-six will have you know have a deal done in some form already. But maybe haven't signed it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there'll be you know ten or fifteen that are a little. Uh, will we'll take various for various reasons they will longer. Sometimes the high school guys just want to or high, college guys just want to take a little time off in between. Uh, and sometimes you know the high school guys will hem and haw a little bit to get a little better price. Uh, but yeah, especially with the signing deadline being closer, there's not a lot of, I'm just going to sit here for two months and do nothing and wait for you to change your price. That, that's kind of been drummed out, thankfully. Right. Yeah, the signing deadline is July 17th, so they've got, what, 36 days? Like, that's, you can't really do a lot of him and Ha at that point. Alright. To him and or Ha. Uh, yeah. Okay. What are we doing? What are we doing here? We done? Who'd you see? Wait, didn't you go to see someone yesterday? Two days uh, ago? I went. I went. I drove two hours. Uh, I got rained out, and then I drove two hours back and got nothing. Oh, that sounds that sounds and, like a miserable afternoon. Well, I got to eat ribs and talk to some scout friends, so it wasn't terrible. Oh, that's, I would have preferred so not driving for four hours to get that. I feel like I could have gotten it here. But, uh, yeah, and I was going to go back the next day because there's actually a double header, so I would have gotten a little extra stuff, but then I had some stuff, some commitments here at home. Uh, and then I texted with one of the scouts that was there, and he was like, yeah, it wasn't very good. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I'm glad I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, I went to go see I, – I was trying to see uh, Blake Snell versus Tyrell Jenkins. That's two of, like, the three or four pitchers I wanted to see in this league. Uh, and I was told Jenkins' stuff was kind of average. And I, I had seen him, like, above average stuff in the AFL. I remember Keith Law told me he was there, like, the week before me and saw plus stuff. And he's coming off of, like, not shoulder surgery, kind of shoulder soreness. So I was thinking, like, oh, there might be might be back-to-plus stuff now. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't bothered asking around because I knew I'd be able to see him. And then, uh, yeah, the guy that's on yesterday was like, eh, kind of average stuff. And then Blake Snell I saw last year, and it sounds like it's the exact same guy, just two or three ticks harder with a little better breaking ball. And this guy was like, yeah, that was pretty much exactly what it was. He was 91 to 94 last year, and this year it's, like, four to six hitting an eight. And the 55 breaking balls now more of a 60. Uh, which, you know, I can imagine I'd like to see it, though, but his his he's the home team that's two hours away, so I'll get to see him again. What's the closest you've ever lived to a park, a, ba- a, ba- a ballpark? Uh, the Yankees' uh, spring training field from my old place was, like, eight minutes away. It was pretty close. Driving or walking? Uh, driving. Right. Yeah. It, was, it was down the main road mm-hmm. I was on, like, four or five miles. Okay, that's not so bad. That must have been nice. Must have been nice. I would like to live within walking distance of a ballpark. I would, I would, I would like that. Yeah, but you do realize the area around most ballparks are pretty shady. Yeah, well, true. Well, although minor league ones, I feel like are better. The the big major league level parks in any sport are generally kind of ratty around them. Right. Well, you have to make room. I mean, so a lot of it's there for parking, and then it's also not useful. Like, well, you know. Every day that's not those 80 dates, I guess, that games are being played. But minor league parks t- tend to be small enough, right, that they don't kind of uh, – they don't necessarily take over a neighborhood. Well, yeah, and the trend now is if you're going to build a stadium, especially if you're going to get less public financing, is to buy everything around the stadium and then sell it to developers. And they usually put up cool apartments, uh, which I've actually seen in some minor league parks now. I know in Greenville – they have like the the green monster out in left field, mm-hmm. and there's a giant apartment complex where people like barbecue on the on like the terrace uh, or the roof of the apartment and just watch the games for free from up there. And I was just in Gwinnett, and they just built a new stadium there, and that one also has apartments out in right field where, where like the selling point is like, oh, s- sit on the roof and watch games for free. That's not bad. Yeah, and I know I think uh, one of the aborted plans for the Oakland A's new stadium was to have like apartments like built into the left field wall kind of thing, 
and be like, people would pay crazy amounts for that. I was like, yeah, people in Silicon Valley or, you know, out there, not necessarily huge A's fans or baseball fans, but I'm sure somebody just for the, you know, the, cachet. the novelty, yeah, the novelty of it will yeah. be like, oh, that'll be cool. Like if I hear like a begging sound outside, it's either somebody at my door or, you know, uh, Craig Gentry hit one off the wall. Right. Craig Gentry is the, that was your first. Yeah. Actually, my sister's name is Gentry. I don't know why that one came to mind. I feel like, I think that's probably why. Her first name? Yeah. Oh, that's so southern. <laughs> oh, wow. You say, you say it like you got molasses in your mouth. Gentry. Gentry. <laughs> Just like Murf, Murfreesboro. Murf, Murf. Oh, so I don't think we've done this before. So, uh, one of my favorite things about the South is when you drive past a town, uh, I immediately, if I see like a small town on like an exit sign, like, oh, this is for, you know, Murfreesboro. Yeah. You know, you try, I just say it out loud. And then, uh, and if I'm in the car with somebody from around there, they'll tell me how they actually say it. Oh, so, okay. uh, yeah. It's different so, every time, I would assume. Well, I have some examples where I missed especially notably. Uh, so down in, in the Mobile area of Alabama, down near the water, there's just a place, uh, the city's named V-I-G-O-R. How, how would you say that? V-I-G-O-R. Mm-hmm. I would say vigor. Yeah, because that's like the real word. <laughs> it's, pronoun- it's pronounced vigor. Vigor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is another one that is, again, you'll, I know what you'll say because it's a word that you've heard before. Sure. V- V-I-E-N-N-A. V-I-E-N-N-A. Uh, Vienna. Vienna. No, you yep, shut the front door. Is. Get out of here. That's what that's what I said. And they're like, no, it's really Vienna. And Are you like people? people. This is a like real gas station and stuff. Yeah. This is a town. This is a city that exists famously in Austria. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and my my favorite one is in Alabama, uh, near Birmingham. There's a city that is spelled A R A B. I don't. Is it? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, go ahead. It's Arab. Oh no. No, it's which not. sounds like a racial slur, doesn't it? It's the most. That's among them. It's like how my grandpa calls Italian people I Italians. Yeah, right. And my dad says, uh, and he's not even from the south. My dad says Chinese. He's never said one one foul thing about uh, Chinese people, but he <clears throat> makes very clear to say Chinese, and that S. I don't know what that S is. That's uh yeah, that's a little annoying, isn't it? Well, I don't know, but I don't know about annoying. But I can tell you that there was a pretty, pretty baller tornado in Arab, Alabama, on April twenty seventh, two thousand eleven. I can confirm that. Did you just do some illicit googling? Yeah, I did some real illicit googling. Ooh, and that uh, is pretty illicit. I can confirm. Yeah, looks like a kind of a. I never, I've never seen tornado in person. Or I have I mean, seen in the if I, were, I wouldn't go looking for it. Yeah, right. Well, you, you maybe, might, maybe just stand pat on that one. The region of where I live is you don't have to search a lot, but yeah. yeah. And I, actually, I believe there is also a fourth one that I'm forgetting to say, but those are the three that came to mind. I feel like those those give you an idea of what you're dealing with. Right, right. Yeah, no, I have it. I have it now. Wow. So oh, there's also a Cairo, a Cairo, Cairo, Missouri, right? I don't know that one. It's a. Uh, I mean, it's spelled like looks like Cairo. Oh. Uh, yeah, I guess it doesn't surprise me. But uh, I believe that uh, – isn't that front and center in some sort of um, Mark Twain book, Cairo, Missouri? Couldn't tell you. I'm not mm. one of those reading types. Yeah, I know. You, you're saying it wrong. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you I, go. I go watch the pictures in Vienna. There's also a Cairo, Georgia, I believe. I don't know how it's pronounced. Though. Okay, yeah. Don't, don't know that one either. Yeah. See, this could actually be a decent game show. If you didn't know the three I just told you, yeah, and no, I could just mix good. in three that are real, there'd be no way you'd get any of them. Hmm. I mean, you get the three where it's, you know, Vienna, you'd get that one, but. Yeah, I would get it. I wouldn't get it. So I feel like we haven't even really talked baseball this time. No, I feel we like did. people are going to be, like, post-draft, we're supposed to talk about the draft. We did. We did talk about the draft. I hope, ever, I hope all of the draftees, did, uh, it turns out well for them. What a useless sentiment. Who cares what you think? Yeah. Like, people that tweet, like, congrats to all who were drafted. It's like, would the world be exactly the same if you didn't say that? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, the world would be, world be mostly the same if none of it, you know, if we took you out of it, Kylie. Oh, what, one less sortable draft board in the True. world? True, there would be exactly one less. Yeah, one fewer, actually, I suppose. But All right, you're, you're done. You fulfilled whatever your obligation was this time. 
It was yeah, it was to give people a subpar podcast. Yeah, there you go. Maybe Program. I'll do one weekly with Tim Callis and just have it go head to head with you. Program. Sorry, yeah. Program. Was his podcast like a pejorative? Um. No, I just like saying program better. More continental. I'm the. That's, how, that's how people in the continent say it. Yeah. Yeah, did you know there's the famous Drake lyric where he yells, I do not stay at the Intercontinental? And I drive past that almost every day, and I want to turn that... I mean, I do turn that song on often when I drive past. Mm. Sounds good. Well, glad we in have fact, that in. That has now become our intro music. Okay. All right, Although I look forward to receiving it. There's quite a lot of curse words around that one, so there might be some creative editing. Yeah, creative editing with with Carson and Callie. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you, Kylie McDaniel. Uh-huh. I'm the, I don't know if you knew, but I'm the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. That's true. That is Kyle McDaniel, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Carson Stooley has been Fangraphs Audio.